Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Thursday, October the 20th, 2022, and this show will be rebroadcast on Monday, October the 24th, 2022, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. At koop.org, all comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. This is our 129th post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. So stay tuned. But first, as we do before every Bringing Light into Darkness news and analysis show, we first go to war. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness Monday news and analysis with your host, Pedro Gatos. Again, thanks for joining us. We have a sensational show tonight, as quite frankly we have every Monday night. If your interest is to get as close to the truth as any news and analysis show will allow you, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Bringing Light into Darkness, where we invite you to join in our weekly pursuit for social justice. A pursuit where we seek to separate fact from fiction and where we acknowledge uncertainty where we seek to deconstruct deceit by identifying where unproven allegations are presented as fact through repetition and the absence of evidence, and where uncertainties are approached from a humble, critical thinking perspective, because our interest is in deconstructing deceit and depression, not enabling it. Enjoy. Good morning. Today is Thursday, October the 20th, 2022. Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos. I will introduce our very special guest tonight shortly. wanted to introduce the subject of our focus tonight. Well, before I get started, let me just indicate that today is Thursday, October the 20th, 2022. This show will be broadcast live on Co-op Radio on Monday, October the 24th, 2022 at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. I was studying on recent Justice Department lawsuits that have been launched pretty significantly throughout the country. Back in August of 2021, the Justice Department joins a Medicare Advantage lawsuit against Kaiser Permanente. The government has intervened in a False Claims Act lawsuits against Kaiser and their affiliates for submitting inaccurate diagnosis codes for risk-adjusted payments to the Medicare Advantage program. The Department of Justice announced it has joined six lawsuits filed by 10 whistleblowers alleging that members of the Kaiser Consortium violated the False Claims Act by submitting inaccurate diagnosis codes for its Medicare Advantage plan enrollees in order to receive higher reimbursements. The lawsuits were consolidated into a single matter in California, I think the Northern District. 
It goes on to explain about the complaints themselves that pressured its physicians to add diagnosis to patient medical records, often months or a year after the patient encountered a raised patient risk scores. The patients did not actually have the diagnoses or they weren't considered or addressed during the outpatient encounter, the lawsuits allege. The law firm said in a statement that the recently unsealed whistleblower complaints also alleged numerous additional examples of fraud conducted by Kaiser, including Kaiser obtained false risk adjustment payments by using data mining to make patient uh, diagnoses seem more numerous or more severe, that practice apparently known as upcoding. Secondly, they fraudulently pressured physicians to, to improperly code diagnoses. Thirdly, ignoring internal audit results. And fourth, using chart reviews or external providers to add new diagnoses, but not delete unsupported ones. These are called one-way chart reviews, apparently. Anyhow, so that was a year ago in August. And then the Department of Justice recently, just this month, in an article in Florida, coming out of Florida, October 18th, 2022, Carter Healthcare Affiliates and two senior managers to pay $7.175 million to resolve a False Actions Act allegation. So this is not a lawsuit. This is actually a settlement. And I just wanted to highlight this is out of Miami, the Carter Healthcare LLC, an Oklahoma-based for-profit home health provider, its affiliates, CHC Holdings in Carter, Florida, have agreed to pay $7.175 million to resolve allegations that they violated the False Claims Act by billing the Medicare program for medically unnecessary therapy provided to patients. This Bradley Carter will pay $175,000. Stanley Carter will pay $75,000 and Carter Healthcare will pay the remaining $6.9 million in the settlement. So this apparently fraudulent behavior occurred between 2014 and 2016. Anyhow, moving on, I just wanted to first, before continuing this introduction, introduce our very special guest. It's Dr. James G. Kahn. Dr. Kahn, thank you for rejoining Bringing Light into Darkness. Happy to be talking with you. Well, thank you. Dr. Khan is an emeritus professor of health policy at the University of California, San Francisco. He's also a leading researcher in the cost and effectiveness of health intervention programs and in the United States healthcare financing reform. He's an editor and primary blogger for Health Justice Monitor. We had Dr. Khan back on July 4th, 2022 in a show that was focused on our healthcare system, a, a system whose health delivery when it comes to the majority population's interest in our country is arguably criminally negligent. And I don't say that lightly, that nature was acutely unmasked by its response to the COVID-19 pandemic. In fact, we had Dr. Khan on as he was a co-author of a recent study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences that found that between the beginning of the pandemic until mid-March of 2022, a universal healthcare program could have saved more than 338,000 American U.S. lives from COVID-19. And the study also went on to calculate some $105 billion that could have been saved in healthcare costs associated with COVID hospitalizations. 
In that program, we demonstrated that a substantial component of the disparity between mortality from COVID-19 in the United States and other affluent countries is due to our healthcare system and the significant share that the U.S. population who are underinsured or without health insurance incur a medical debt that Dr. Khan had indicated afflicts some 40% of the United States adults and some 25 to 30 million are uninsured and our number of underinsured is growing each year. So what's amazing about this whole thing is that this problem can be fixed as evidenced by how other countries' healthcare systems are put together in advanced countries. Lastly, let me just say, in an interview on Democracy Now! in October, just a couple of weeks ago, on, to me on the 12th of October, a former executive for the health insurance companies Cigna and Humana, Wendell Porter, who now serves as president of the Center for Health and Democracy, was explaining how Medicare Advantage works. It's neither Medicare, he said, nor is it an advantage. I think it will be recognized as probably the biggest heist, the biggest fraud, the biggest transfer of wealth from taxpayers, middle-income, low-income Americans, from them to corporate executives and shareholders. And so I thought I would ask Dr. Khan, before turning to this most recent article by the New York Times that we wanted you to speak to, can you speak a little bit about the Medicare program and then about 20 years ago, there was a move to privatize it, which is the Medicare Advantage program. Can you fill us in, the public, on the significance of the Medicare and the Medicare Advantage disconnect? Absolutely. But, but first, let me thank you for that introduction. I always like appearing on your show because you are so well informed and thoughtful about what's going on. You make my job much easier. Thanks again. The Medicare program, I think your, your listeners probably know, is designed to provide health insurance for the elderly and for the long-term disabled. And nearly everyone over 65 is covered by Medicare. It's the closest thing we have to universal health care, but only for the groups that qualify for it. Traditionally, Medicare paid doctors a fee-for-service, in other words, and hospitals as well, that the hospital or the doctor would provide a service or a set of services and it would get a fixed amount of money. For doctors, it was based on, for example, that they provided a consultation or they did an intervention. And for hospitals, it was usually based on the diagnosis. So if someone came in with a heart attack, they would get paid a, a specified amount, or sometimes it would be based on the services provided. But people could go anywhere they wanted to any doctor, any hospital that accepted Medicare. And that was essentially all doctors and hospitals. And there was no role in that for private insurance companies. Eventually, there were, because of some of the cost sharing requirements of Medicare, there came into being something called Medigap policies, which are private insurance. But, uh, and many people got that, but it's a very small portion of the of the total Medicare picture. So basically, it was public funding of healthcare. And then, as you said, about 20 years ago, we started experimenting with privatizing parts of Medicare. This was built on the tenuous foundation of theories about managed care. The idea that was put forth is that somehow or other, if these private insurance companies 
were given a fixed amount of money, what's called a capitation payment for each person who enrolled, they could provide high quality care while uh, decreasing costs and pocketing the difference as profits. This was the idea. And it started small and it got bigger and bigger and eventually was renamed as Medicare Advantage. As Wendell has pointed out, that's a PR name, probably had been better called Medicare Disadvantage. In any case, Medicare Advantage grew and grew and is now almost half of the Medicare program. Again, private insurance companies get a fixed amount of money per enrollee per month, and that's the capitation payment. But then there's an issue that some patients are sicker, and everyone agreed that they should implement something called a risk adjustment system. This risk adjustment system counted up the number of diagnoses that people have and increased the payments to Medicare Advantage plans if they had a sicker than average population, sicker as measured by the number of key diagnoses. Well, this is good to correct for any kind of uneven selection of of patients and rewards plans for accepting sicker patients, as it should. But here's the problem, and here's why we're having this discussion. It turns out that the diagnoses used to drive the risk adjustment are easy to game. They are easy to manipulate. There is a, an illegal version of it, which is simply that you make up diagnoses that aren't really there, or you maybe count former diagnoses, which are no longer relevant. And that's where we're hearing about companies being accused of fraud and making payments a few million dollars, by the way, which is nothing in the scheme of things. So there is fraud. But the bigger issue is that there is legitimate retrieval of diagnoses. So maybe someone's not listed as having a risk of heart failure, and they find that and add it, or the severity of the heart failure isn't properly reflected, and that's identified and fixed. Well, if you do that systematically, there are many reasonable judgment calls where you can increase the diagnostic severity. And these Medicare Advantage plans have done that systematically and aggressively. And this is where we get to the biggest problem in terms of the amounts of dollars involved. The Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, known as CMS, which funds Medicare and Medicaid, has the authority to monitor these diagnostic upcoding patterns and to correct for them in the setting of the capitation rates. The CMS is charged with monitoring this and adjusting and making sure that CMS is not overpaying Medicare Advantage plans, but they have not done so. They've not done so to the extent that they should. They make small adjustments, a few percent, but they know, they've documented that the real overcoding or upcoding is far greater and they're not taking care of it. And so what's happening as a result is that many billions of dollars a year, the current estimate by the analysts I most respect on this is that we're spending in in excess of $25 billion a year in extra payments because CMS has failed to adjust for this overcoding and that this money will increase to about $600 billion over the next 10 years in overpayments if CMS doesn't correct for this problem. Dr. Khan, what you're saying is this is basically the profiteering 
Absolutely. The profiteering, the Medicare Advantage is about profiteering, taking money out of Medicare and putting it in the pockets of shareholders. I will mention one quick other thing, and maybe if you want to, we can come back to it. Most recently, the other side of Medicare, the still publicly funded traditional Medicare that doesn't involve Medicare Advantage, that too is being subject to privatization on under a program called ACO Reach. And I have a lot to say about that if you want to take the conversation in that direction. Yes, I, I wouldn't, but not at this moment, because it is really important that you're basically outlining how the intent of Medicare and like, I remember the VA program was a very good program for the majority of populations that were in there accessing those services. But let me back up for a second, because what's really disturbing is the claims and the validity to the claims that such a huge amount of money by these big corporations that are profiteering from those monies that you just mentioned, they spend it on lobbying to Congress and they throw this all of this money into these campaigns. And then you have all of the advertising. I'm watching on TV, one Medicare Advantage advertising after another Medicare Advantage program being advertised by famous celebrities and that type of thing with very misleading advertising, as you've indicated. But one of the administrators apparently of CMS that you just talked about that's supposed to be monitoring these giants, they went straight from that job into the insurance industry as a head of Americans' health insurance plans, which is called AHIP, A-H-I-P. This revolving door between private industry and government and massive amounts of money that are spent on lobbying and advertising and all of that, it results in an enormous wealth transfer from the public sector, namely our taxpaying dollars, to the wealthy. We have the most egregious levels of wealth inequality to begin with. And so now you can see that this is a major mechanism or artery feeding this built-in major expression of oppression, namely unfair access to wealth accumulation. One of the major mechanisms that you see the same revolving door, whether it's military quote unquote experts from the defense industry going into you know the news media and et cetera. Can you speak a little bit to this this robbery, if you will, of the public sector that our healthcare system allows, as well as compared to other nations in which the quality of the treatments that we get result in a population that has a lesser life expectancy and a lesser everything when you look at the indices of good health. Well, you got it right when you said there's a revolving door. The movement between industry and uh, high levels of management in the government is astounding. It's just uh, true currently with the head of CMS, a former industry executive. And the problem is that not only the Republicans, but most Democrats are very sympathetic to the interests of businesses in the health area. Only the progressive slice of our elected officials in Washington are are really tuned in to the ways in which the system is designed to, to fatten the wallets of the health insurance companies and and also to a large degree many uh, for-profit hospital chains so it's, it's a real problem our country is the only wealthy country that bases health insurance thoroughly on a for-profit model 
and it's the uh, only country where we accept, in fact, encourage a wild diversity of insurance approaches. Uh, we have many different public programs. By uh, one count I did a, a few years ago, in California, there are 60 different public funding streams, Medicare, Medicaid, the VA, various disease-specific programs are typically very small, and it's really inefficient. We waste about $600 billion a year. That's a as it happens by by coincidence, that's that $600 billion is, is a same number I mentioned earlier for how much a Medicare Advantage plan is going to be overpaid for the next 10 years. But this is $600 billion each year that we overpay because of this incredibly complicated and inefficient system. And so we spent all of this money, and a lot of that's going into the profits for the health insurance companies. And so we have this really, really inefficient system, and, and we then can't afford to cover people to get care, and they're facing huge levels of medical debt and medical bankruptcy and not getting care because of financial barriers. Well, you'd think, okay, so we're spending a lot more, and we're willing to, to spend hundreds of billions of dollars a year on complex administration, and overall, we spend as much as twice what other wealthy countries spend on healthcare, but that's okay because we like our high quality healthcare in the United States and we get all sorts of health benefits from it. Wrong. That is absolutely incorrect. We are doing much worse than other countries by every possible metric of how the health system is performing in providing life extending care for our citizens. What are some of those metrics? Yeah. So we, if you look at, for example, access to care, how likely are people to have a doctor? How quickly can people be seen when they get sick? Have people in the United States ever postponed or skipped medical care because of financial barriers? These questions are asked for the U.S. and then they're asked for a set of comparison countries. So all of these, what we call process measures of how well the system is working, point to very severe problems in the United States. And of course, those problems affect the poor and people of color much more severely, but they also affect the upper middle class as well. So even people like me, I'm a doctor, I have a good job, uh, we, we feel it as well. So then there's the most fundamental metric, how long are people living, longevity. And if you look at patterns over the past half century, and there's a graph I use in, in many of my talks, what you see is that all of the other wealthy countries are having steady growth in longevity, even as medical costs go up steadily. In the United States, we stand alone in this graph. We have much slower growth in longevity. Our average lifespan is much lower than other countries. Exactly. While we're, our costs are shooting up, and in recent years, we've actually experienced repeated drops in yeah. longevity. Three years, less expected life over the last two years. In two years, we've lost three years of expected longevity. That's just atrocious. Now, a lot of countries saw small dips because of COVID, but we saw a huge dip because of COVID and other dips as well for other reasons. 
other Dr. Khan, excuse me for interrupting. Sure. But this is really important because we never had a dip in life expectancy, except I think during the HIV crisis in the 90s or whatever. And as the most advanced nation of the world, it's that's another shocking indice. You've mentioned the life expectancy uh, indice, which I think is a crucial one. Reconnecting back to your first show that we did with you, in which your team analyzed and indicated that we could have saved some 338,000 more lives from the COVID if we had a, just an average type of health program like other developed nations that you've been referring to. I think translating it into a number like that is so shocking. I cannot imagine the number of lives or the years of shortened lives that we're talking about in this year. It is such a criminal thing. Can you also highlight, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the studies clearly indicate that, yeah, everyone suffers but the difference between the lower income and particularly the disproportionate number of people of color that fall into that group and the difference between their life expectancies in some communities is some 15 years or more of lifespan. This is well documented and we will provide our sourcing on how wealth or lack of wealth impact life expectancy after our break. But right now we need to take a quick break, Dr. Khan for bringing light into darkness in order to take care of some station business. So please stay tuned to the premier community station of the nation, 91.7 KOOP Hornsby Austin, with our interview and dialogue with Dr. James Kahn after a brief pause. Stay tuned. Don't touch that dial.